That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. A special shout out right off the top to John Milkey from Blast Podcast for helping me with the technical aspects. And I should also mention the emotional support as we have been recording these podcasts from my daughter's bedroom over the last couple of months. Which brings us right to that topic. We are coming out of a time when those who cared for others became our new heroes. Those in the medical profession, from the doctors to the nurses, the long-term care home staff, the janitors, chefs, cooks, cleaners. These jobs finally acknowledged and recognized for their real value and by people putting their own health at risk to care for others. Prior to COVID, this healthcare worker also came in the form of a caregiver. The reality is, however, not all caregivers are given that title. They are family members and close friends, often finding themselves in a very new role. It's not always the easiest thing to balance someone else's health and their well-being, as well as your own. Dawn Renee is the founder of Traveling Caregivers, a pioneer holistic caregiver herself, complementing her work by integrating herbal medicine, Ayurveda, energy work, and emotional guidance. She bridges the gap between balance of life while navigating a multitude of caregiving concerns with health, a holistic lifestyle, administration, and, of course, advocacy. Over the past decade, she has been instrumental in helping individuals reclaim their health and their lives on their own terms. And in their own way. Don today is joining us from Nashville, Tennessee. Don, great to have you joining us. I'm very excited for our chat. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited too. It's great to great to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, and we were talking. I, you know what? When the when the borders open up, Nashville is like is the place that has been on my list. It's been on my go to top of list for some time. That's a it's a pretty is it a great place to live? It's fantastic. I moved here 16 years ago from Seattle, and um, I love Seattle, but I consider Nashville my my new home. <laughs> we should also mention, if, if you're going to be in Nashville, you've got to have some musical interest. I mean, who, who goes and moves to Nashville in that sense? And so I know, because you and your husband, actually, with everything else that you have going on, there's a musical background, too. Yeah, um, actually, it was music first, and and it's still it, my husband and I. We're a duo. We write our own music and we sing together. You know, we do that that whole living our lives out and through music and trying to help people through music. It's great. <laughs> I, and I think we're going to hear later on sometimes how music can actually be incredibly therapeutic as well. You know, when we get into kind of what it is that you do and how we're able to help people. When I mentioned the term caregiver for you, what what comes to mind? Um, it used to be somebody that would have to take care of somebody else. And now, after becoming that person, I have realized that the you have to put the, put the air mask on yourself first before you can care for others. So you really have to take a look at what's going on in your own health, in your own life. Make sure that you're coming from solid ground before you go in and help others. Now, I know that that's not always the case. Sometimes you're just thrown into it like I was, and it took me two years to realize this. And, uh, you know, when you're going through that, you realize, well, if I don't take care of myself and I get sick, well, who's going to take care of me? And who's going to take care of that person when I'm down? So being a caregiver for yourself is definitely the one thing that I found to be most important. 
Now, there are some people, as I mentioned in the lead, that that choose this. They choose this as their profession. They're innately a giver, uh, a caretaker. They have maybe a little bit of a medical background and health and wellness background. And there are others who find themselves in this role who aren't maybe coming into this role with an open heart and, you know, feeling like they have everything to give. That's got to be very difficult, too. Absolutely. I mean, I came into this to take care of a friend of mine, and now I live with her, um, and I've been with her doing this now for five and a half years. It's when you offer yourself up in that kind of a service, you are definitely, you got to look at all the, all how that affects your life, you know, and how, how much you're going to be sacrificing. Or if you're a caregiver, you might be looking at that going, well, it's not a sacrifice because this is my greatest joy and my greatest love. And for somebody else that's thrown into it and everything is all of a sudden uprooted and they have to change their whole lifestyles, they might look at it as a detriment and a pain and suffering. But honestly, I think that the whole thing is meant to just bring us together closer. I really do. So I, you know, I always go back in my podcast and there's always got to be a story and a how. So for you, and, yes. and just because I've done a little research, I know that it was almost like you had to become a caregiver for yourself first, but also that you landed in another caregiving role in a very different way. So what was, if you don't mind, let's, let's go reverse sure. for a second. How, how did you end up here? How, how did you end up on my podcast? <laughs> <laughs> um, 10 years ago, I was so sick. I was in a bed. I couldn't move for 30 days. I couldn't lift my body. I was just exhausted. I had chronic fatigue, diabetes, endometriosis, allergies, migraines. Um, I was suffering from gallstones and got bit by a black widow in it. All of it hit me in a 24-hour period. And now I'm not saying that all those disorders hit me. I'm saying that they something, something uh, broke the camel's back and all of a sudden here I was in a bed not able to move. Now all these things that I was dealing with, I had been dealing with for years, but they just all hit me all at once to where I couldn't get out of bed for a month. And I was faced with the fact that I needed to change something. Something wasn't working. I wasn't figuring out what was triggering my problems. And so for 30 days, I had a lot of time to think about it. And uh, oh, can, I, can I just ask you, like, yeah, I mean, you would have had a lot of these conditions prior to, right? You yes. would have known you were diabetic. You would have known a number of these things. And, and I've read, you know, if you get bit by a tick and there's Lyme's disease, like there's a lot of things that get affected if your body has, you know, is bitten, as, yep. as you're saying, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's, that's what happened. That's actually what I, <laughs> I, I actually did get bit by a tick. Uh, three months before I went down, I was bit by a tick and I had the big bullseye and everything. So the Lyme disease um, came back, came into my life. And um, it was another thing that I had to look at the autoimmune disorder that it was creating. And that's where all of these things kind of hit me all at once. And um, basically, I had to look at every single part of it and go, what do I got to do to get out of this mess? And I had realized, cause I didn't know I was diabetic type two. That didn't, I did not know until wow. I, until I got sick. Um, and I wasn't diabetic before that I was hypoglycemic, but, um, a year and a half prior, I'm going to back up a little bit, a year and a half prior, I had uh, found out that I had, um, hypoglycemia and I was gluten intolerant. So I took gluten off my table, stopped eating gluten. I was eating pretty much uh, a very balanced meal. I thought, you know, I was still eating meat. I don't eat meat anymore, but I was eating meat and eating fruits and vegetables. And then I get told they can't have gluten. So go to the store and look for all the products that say gluten-free on it and buy all the products that say gluten-free on it, not realizing that those products are full of sugar, 
uh, toxicities, all kinds of preservatives, and rice. And so rice converts into sugar. And uh, after a year and a half of eating that, I was diabetic type 2. And this, it, it all kind of happened. I got bit by a tick. And then uh, a few days later, I got really, really sick. And while I was sick, I got bit by a black widow. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> all the bugs in Tennessee, they're awesome. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's the only part. <laughs> okay. Remind me that I'm not going outside of Nashville. Yeah. Well, I can I can help you with that now, too, because I know how to deal with them now. But back then, I did not know how to deal with them. <laughs> so at this point, I your I would think just moving was painful, like just the energy, the lack of energy. I had nothing. Yeah, I, I literally could not lift my arm up. My husband had to come pick me up out of bed to take me to the bathroom so that I could go to the bathroom because I couldn't even would- go to the couldn't get up. So. I'm thinking that's just a terrifying place to be. It was very terrifying because I, I, I'm thinking, my gosh, I'm too young for this. I don't want to be in the bed for the rest of my life. Something has got to change. I can't. And before that was happening, I was also having a lot of chronic fatigue episodes where I would just literally fall asleep. We could be sitting on the couch talking and I would fall asleep in the middle of the day. <laughs> you know, I'm a very energetic person. So that was not it. To me, that was what that what is happening right now. So when everything hit me, it, it just made me realize I needed to give my body the rest it needed. Uh, and at the same time, I was also working at a health food store. I was a partner at a health food store with working with a woman who had 22 years experience in nutritional coaching and therapy. And she had been coaching me too. And so when all is all of this occurred, she said, all right, this is what we're going to do. And she really helped me pare it down to two shakes a day and three teas. And so between the two shakes a day and the three teas, I did that religiously every single day for 30 days. At the end of the 30 days, I was able to put my feet on the ground and stand up literally on day 30. Like literally it happened day 30, not on day 29, day 30. Cause every day I tried every day I would try and I could, I just couldn't get my body to move. And so on day 30, I got up and I said, Oh my gosh, I'm standing. This is great. Okay. And from that point forward, I decided that I was going to be living a plant-based life. I wasn't going to um, eat meat anymore. And I was going to focus on fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds. And that's what I've primarily done. I do, except I did also do eggs, um, eggs in a certain way. And they had to be from the farmer and I had to know where they came from and what they were eating, (laughs) you know. But other than that, it, it was just pretty much plants. And now today it's majority plants still. I don't. I don't do anything else. Can I ask, you know, what these magic teas were like? You know, I think people are going, <laughs> what were these magical teas? Well, this particular tea, um, I just focused on one and it's called marshmallow root. It's not marshmallows, by the way. <laughs> it's not white and fluffy. No, it actually tastes like lima beans. <laughs> um, and I would make up or my husband would make up a big batch of it and he would just keep bringing me cups of tea. And I would literally have three big cups of, of this marshmallow root tea every day. And the point of that was to help um, cleanse my kidneys and to also help uh, reduce the effects of any stones that could be occurring, help, you know, uh, break, them, break them down naturally. So these were the teas. This was an introduction, <clears throat> sorry, into like a, a plant-based 
yeah. foundation. And yeah. did it was it the healing properties? I mean, because I'm not coming at this kind of going to everyone because that's not where we're kind of going with all of this. Right. But but for you, there was a healing component to it that lent itself to an additional thing to be able to use and to incorporate with people who are looking for a little bit of an outside way of healing. Absolutely. Uh, with Ayurveda, you know, there's a lot of great herbs that you can use and marshmallow is just really awesome for cleansing the kidneys and for helping you get rid of the plaque out of your body. And so, um, since I was having the gallstones, it was pretty clear that I needed to work on cleaning that out. And, um, and if it was representing itself there, then what else was in my body that was causing me problems? So we just we just said, you know, let's just pare this down to this and let's just focus on that. Now, after the 30 days, I branched out to other teas. But for the first 30 days, it was just that. Hmm. I branched out to a raspberry tea when I was completely overdue with my child and wanted her out of my belly. <laughs> and they kept telling me <laughs> to down the raspberry tea. Yeah. And let me tell you how much raspberry tea I drank in a 24 hour, you know, period before that my water finally broke. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm convinced it was the raspberry tea. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced by teas. Uh, and there's times that if I'm not feeling hungry and I'm feeling like I need to back off food that I'll just go straight to teas and I'll make, I have all kinds of tea combinations that I do because you can still get a lot of great nutrients from teas. You know what, though? I'm just thinking about it. When we're not feeling well, when we're down, when we're cold, everyone always says, can I make you a cup of tea? Yeah. Like, there is really something um, I find maternal or loving or caring just in the act of making a tea. Yes, absolutely. And we do a lot of tea here. We do a lot of tea for Anne, which is a lady I take care of. And I still do a lot of teas. But absolutely, you know, we take our time. I actually grow my own herbs now. So I've gone from learning about it, using it to actually growing my own collection so that I can just go in the garden and grab whatever it is I want to do today. As caregivers, you know, there's often that process of let me make you a cup of tea. Is that something that also like it just came to me as we were saying that, that I find making a <laughs> cup of tea is very like medicinal or yes. healing or loving. It shows caring. Would that be like uh, probably the number one thing a caregiver would probably say, can I make you a cup of tea? Yeah, that is always good. First thing when somebody comes over, yeah, I'm offering them tea or water. We have really great water. Our water is, uh, is filtered and oxygenated. So I'm usually trying to push the water or the tea on them or both. <laughs> Which would work. So you were able to do this healing on you. When yes. did it become apparent that this was something and heading into the caregiving aspect of things that life changed for you or that your role changed? Um, when I was when I was taking care of myself and I was working at the holistic shop, we used to see people. They would come in to see us uh, every day. And we would spend an hour to an hour and a half assessing people's situations and try to help them find balance, try to figure out what might be triggering their problems or what they might be deficient in and what they might need to rebuild. And so we would do this every day. And then when the business closed, she closed her doors. I decided I wanted to continue doing this for others. And I was doing it for animals, too, at the same time, because that's how I started. I actually started taking care of myself and animals. And, and then that just um, kind of went into this thing where people were saying, hey, you should call Dawn. And then all of a sudden, I start getting phone calls and emails. And, and so I started helping people all based word of mouth um, on, on my intuition 
intuitive uh, feelings about what they were telling me and knowing what I had learned. And, um, and then as I was walking from that, I'm like, okay, well, I should start a blog. So I started a blog called I'm Holistic so I could share all my experiences. So I, I did that. And then as it went on uh, in 2014, 2014 was the Ice Bucket ALS Challenge, and somebody challenged us to do the Ice Bucket. So my husband and I said, okay, well, we'll do the challenge. We didn't know anything about ALS. We were thought, well, if we're going to do this Ice Bucket Challenge, we should probably we should probably learn about ALS. So we learned about ALS, and both of us at the same time looked at each other and said, "How? I wonder how it would be to help somebody holistically who was dealing with ALS. And literally six months later, Anne came back into my life and with ALS. And when I saw her in the hospital, I said, I'm here for you. What, I was at a moment in my life where I, I was working for myself. And um, when I saw her in the hospital and I saw it was just her and her husband, I said, well, what are you guys going to do when you get out of the hospital? And they didn't know. And I said, okay, well. I'm in. Whatever you need. I want to be here. I want to help you. And at that moment in time, I didn't know what I was really signing myself up for because most of my caregiving has been on the one-on-one, one-at-a-time kind of a thing. And so when I said I want to be a full-time caregiver, I knew that I was going to be with her every day and that I would be you know, helping her. I didn't know that the path that we were about to go on for the next five and a half years was going to be like this and everything that we've done since then. Um, but I'm really honestly grateful because it has taught me so much about not only myself, but about helping people through their, the transition of life, you know, navigating this life and, and the stuff that we get ourselves into. And, um, I don't know if that answers your question, but no, um, it does, you know, and you bring up ALS. ALS is a devastating, it's just a devastating disease. I mean, you are trapped. You are so trapped in a body that no longer can serve you. And yet you're fully aware of what is happening around you. So how much was there to learn? I mean, and not only was it emotional and this was someone that you knew, but also the physical toll because there's so much of your own body and lifting that that is then required for you to learn how to care for a, a human body as well. That was the the biggest challenge. So it, when I was caring for others in the past, it was one on one. When it came to her, I had to be very physical. And when I came into the picture, I was super strong because I'd rebuilt myself, so I was ready. But then the first two years really, really knocked me down. Um, My body physically took a toll. I stopped caring so much for myself and started caring more for her. I found that when I was thrown into it, I really wanted to make sure that I was taking care of her needs first, that literally I'd work with her from 10 o'clock in the morning till 11 o'clock at night and then go home, go to bed, get up and do it all over again for the first two years. And then um, I broke my foot and kept working while I was with a broken foot, um, which wasn't a good idea. And then I ended up getting a hernia because of that, because I put too much stress on my body. And so then eventually we had to hire uh, somebody to come in and help me to be kind of the physical person. And, um, you know, it was definitely a struggle going from from that aspect of one-on-one to full-time integrated care learning everything because basically I had to learn everything that you do as a nurse. 
I mean, she has a ventilator. She has a trach. I have to cough a sister. She has, um, she has a catheter. She has a feeding tube. She cannot move from the neck down. She has a computer that she can speak through, but she doesn't usually use it because I think it wears her out. And so we spend a lot of time doing mental telepathy. And so I'm looking at her and asking her questions, engaging her based on how she looks at me or if she gives me a yes, no with her eyes kind of a thing. We have a signal for that. And, you know, we had to work through all of these things. So as I'm working through all of these things, being this integrated nurse, basically, taking her blood oxygen, her blood pressure, her heart rate every single day, multiple times a day, keeping a chart, basically acting like an in-home nurse and having to learn all of these technical things that I never knew I was going to have to learn how to do. Um, It's definitely been uh, an eye-opening experience. It's taught me a lot about myself, about how much strength I have. Um, Quarantine didn't have anything on me because... We'd already gone through our battle, you know, we laugh about it and not laugh about quarantine, Mm. but but laugh about the fact that we're already like at this place where we've gone through so much together that one more thing is just one more thing, you know, so it's just about, okay, here's one more thing and how are you going to navigate through this? And um, we just keep keep learning and keep educating and keep researching and I vet everything and because we live such a holistic lifestyle and with ALS being a neurodegenerative disease, um, a lot of things can affect a person's neurotoxins so I have to be careful with everything that goes on her skin, everything that goes in her body. It can't have any kind of a neurotoxin effect to it because that can, can be a detriment to her, her disorder which can ultimately create more problems for her so i'm always just trying to help her get her body back to a balance uh so that we can see if there's any room there for progress now you're dealing with Anne, and she has als but what would you give for people that need to find strategies for their each independent role right so um you know, what are some of the strategies that you would suggest for people who might not be dealing with ALS, but might be dealing with cancer or dementia or, you know, like what are some of the strategies that you talk people through in the work that you're doing? It's funny. Um, somebody asked me the other day what I thought was the most important thing a caregiver should know as far as the first thing to know. And, um, and she says, as it pertains to nutrition and um, this is going to sound really funny, but here's the answer breathing. (laughs) And the reason I say breathing is because if you're not doing, if you don't sit there and do focused breathing, at least a couple times a day, if you're not a person who works out, you're not a person who meditates, and you're not a person who's actively getting your heart up a little bit or, you know, using your oxygen, most of us are shallow breathers. Most of us don't, aren't getting fully oxygenated. And if there's anything I learned that she has taught me, is that the breathing aspect is the most important thing because when you're not breathing 100%, you're not sending air to the tips of your fingertips or the tips of your toes. You need to make sure you're oxygenating every single cell. And so uh, this might sound crazy, but I use the technique Wim Hof. Wim Hof by Iceman. I use it I love it. Yeah. I'm going to have to see, I'm going to have to tell my (laughs) listeners, I think you guys have to go back maybe like 20 podcasts and we do have one on the Wim Hof method, but that's interesting that you say that. So that's the method that you use. 100%. To 
Okay. And that, and I mean, and we're not in this point talking, having to go into a cold bath or anything. Nope. You're just talking about the actual Wim Hof the breathing. breathing process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's got uh, 11 minute tutorials on YouTube that are free. And so literally I'll just put that YouTube on, put it in my ear and go through the breathing with him while he's talking it, talking me through it. And I do it with him at least two times a day. And what it has done for me is it's it's helps you oxygenate your body. It helps your body absorb the things that you're eating. It helps your body uh, find homostasis, get back down to balance, get the stress gone. You know, bring everything to a calm place to where you're clear and your 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 emotions aren't taking over your thoughts, and and then you're able to function better as a caregiver um, if I start to feel like I'm getting anything like a sore throat I will just go do Wim Hof if I'm feeling that um, I'm not feeling energized I'll go do Wim Hof if I'm feeling bummed out I'll go do Wim Hof just because I've realized now that the breathing really does help and it, it helps bring uh, some kind of stability to your body it really for me it does I think you just mentioned, just I think mentioning the shallow breathing right off the top, people will recognize that they they feel a shortness, they're not getting a full breath in and then the anxiety comes in and then it's like it's, it's a constant compounding and then your brain starts to go going, I can't even care for myself and I'm caring for someone else and then exactly. I find the dominoes just start falling. Right. And then you, your stomach might be all in knots. And then if your stomach's in knots, you really, your body's not, your stomach's not digesting at that point because you're in, you're in knots. So it's, it's just all about bringing calmness back to all of that, to those endpoints. So we're assuming that people are, you know, there's people that are in long-term care facilities whose job it is, you know, to be in this caregiver role. But a lot of it happening is happening in people's homes. What would you suggest as you as caregivers are heading into homes or that you have a home in which you're bringing somebody in if it's for your elderly parents or things what are some of the recommendations that you like to have it within well, someone's home uh i would say making up a list of things that are that the person likes um one of the things so when i when i have somebody come in as a caregiver and they, they're interviewing with me i literally have a book they have to read through it and just like any job um, with Anne, she's got specific things that if you just do this every single day, just like it's part of her routine and it's part of her schedule, then she's going to be so happy with you. She's not going to be angry. She's not going to be sad. She's going to, it was a way for me to help her manage her anxiety because when you're trapped in a bed and you can't do anything for yourself, you start to feel so much anxiety about things. And I was noticing that, um, her blood pressure would go up a lot in the first couple of years. Her blood pressure kept racing. And the doctor would say, but she doesn't have a blood pressure issue. And I said, no, what she has is an anxiety issue. And she could literally crank her anxiety by holding her breath and by getting upset, literally. And I could watch it. I could put the little oxometer on her and, and keep track. And you would see everything elevate. So... I taught her how to breathe. And so through the breathing, I got her to calm down. But if you have a schedule, the schedule can help set kind of a tone that um, the person that you're working for understands that you're keeping to it and that they can trust you and they have belief and faith in you. And at the same time, it gives you blocks of time in order to do other things. So 
in the first couple of years, if I would walk out of her room, she would be buzzing the buzzer, come back, come back. <laughs> and so I'd have to come back. And finally, I came to her and I said, okay, we're going to have to have a chat because in order for me to go get work done, other work besides helping you, I'm going to need to go have time to do those things. And you're going to have to give those things to me. <laughs> so, so she said uh, she finally started to understand. But literally, it took us two years to work through a schedule. I posted the schedule in front of her so she could see the schedule. And then she was able to, like, hit the buzzer every time it was time for one of her scheduled items, you know. And then eventually, we didn't have to have the schedule right in front of her face because she started to trust that, hey, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm coming back. I got stuff to do with you and I got stuff to do out here. And, and that's how I found balance again for myself, too. Because in the beginning, it was all her all the time, 100%. There were days that I would just literally cry because I thought, this is, what am I doing? Why? How am I helping her? I feel like I'm a complete mess, <laughs> you know? And I wasn't happy. I wasn't able to do the things that I needed to do for me to keep me happy. And but having that schedule definitely changed things. And then also having a list of likes and dislikes and making sure that whoever comes in to help understands that. There was something that I had read about in terms of you saying the detoxification of a home. What, did you, what do you mean by that? Not just for everyone, not just for the caregiver, but for everyone in, in, this, in this household. Detoxifying, well, for us, detoxification meant getting rid of um, products, soaps and detergents and air fresheners. And I mean, literally, we only use plant-based products. That's all we use because there are so many neurotoxins in those, in those other products because the chemicals that they use, um, even with the air fresheners, they're horrible. I get a headache anytime that they would be in the house. So we got rid of all of it and just started from scratch and started making our own essential oil things and using a lot of essential oils and plant-based products for everything. Do you find though that scent has a, a scent plays a role in it? I mean, you're not looking at certain types of products, but have you ever felt that scents can trigger things with, with patients or with people? You know, uh, since I switched to essential oils, I haven't noticed one issue, not one. It used to be in the past that I could only go and get like a vanilla air freshener and I could only handle that smell. But then I started to to not handle the air freshener itself. And I don't know if it's because there's something else. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's because there's something else in it. But there was something else in the air with it that was irritating my head and I would get these headaches. And so for us, it would just, it just worked to clear all that out. But once we went to essential oils and found the control over how we use the essential oils... Um, and maybe it's just that, you know, we know that you only need a couple of drops. You don't need the whole bottle, you know? So, okay. I'm, so I know that you're with and through the day, but mm -hmm. then you leave. No, I live right? here. You, so, okay. Yeah. So where, and that could be, I'm going to think for people listening or others who are in a situation, either it's 24 hours a day. It's 24-hour care, essentially, or it's the going in in the morning and staying all day and going home at night. But where, where is the you time for the self-care that you're taking care of yourself or getting in? I, I, everyone knows I'm very big into movement and exercise. And, I, you know, so where is it for you and where is it for <laughs> everyone else that is in this? Because it sounds to me, especially with sometimes it's just it's full-time 
it's full time. Like where, where's your hour lunch break, right? Or other right. things that other people get. It's, um, it's, it's a little different. I mean, we have the schedule, which helps. So I can navigate around the schedule. So I know if I need to be with her, um, to do this activity, then I know I need to be there at this time to do that activity. And then as soon as that activity is done, then I have, you know, anywhere from 30 minutes to 45 minutes to go do something else. But I have an eye where I'm keeping a, I'm keeping an eye on her while I'm doing the activity. Um, First thing in the morning when I wake up, uh, the first two hours I usually dedicate just to myself. So I usually am up at 6 a.m. And at 6 a.m. I will get up and do my meditation first. I'll do my breathing exercises. And then I'll go do my little 20-minute workout that that I do with with yoga and um, the resistance bands. And then I'll do five minutes on my rebounder. And then I go downstairs and I start making celery juice for myself and for her because that's the first thing we both get is celery juice. And, and, then, um, and then from there, it just kind of starts the snowball effect of her schedule. And once I, I found that if I don't do that two hours in the morning, if I skip, then I won't be getting my time for those things because once I get going, it's too hard to get me off the train of whatever it is I got to do that day. And and then when it comes to her, um, you know, she's pretty consistent right now as far as um, how she's feeling. So the only times that it really, like, I guess, puts a cramp in my, my schedule is when she's not feeling well or if she's dealing with something more and then she needs my attention more. So um, luckily that's, you know, that's here and there. <laughs> okay, but what I'm hearing is that you're pretty dedicated and will yeah. get up to make the time to take care of yourself. What about yeah. the people that don't? What, what, <laughs> <laughs> who are not getting up to do that? I mean, the thought of like having this really long day ahead of you and then going, but I'm going to get up at 6 a.m. to take care of me. Like that for some people would be incredibly daunting, you know, yeah. or it's like I'll do and it at it the end it. of the day, but you're exhausted <laughs> by the end of the day. And then the next thing you know, another day has gone by and you haven't done it. And then another day. And and how do you get yourself off of that? Well, because there have been times where I've just got up and gone straight to her because of whatever the situation was. And I didn't do that for myself. And I had to learn to give myself a little grace because I know that I want to do that. And my, my initial thing is to, my initial discipline is to take care of myself. And so what I found was I was beating myself up. I would get mad at myself. I'm like, ah, you know, and then that would become part of my energy. So I started saying, well, that's not very good. How about we say, all right, so I didn't make it happen today, but tomorrow morning I'm going to do it. Now, I know that some people are still going to have the hard time doing that. So I guess it's about figuring out what time can you give yourself. And if you can block out two hours somewhere, you have to put it in your day somewhere. You just have to. And if you can't get to it every single day, then, you know. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. Just get back on it as, as quick as you can so that you don't lose yourself in it. Because that's what happened to me for the first two years. I didn't for the first two years. And it really did hurt me. And at that time, I was going and going back home and going to work every morning and then going back home at night. And um, that in itself was a challenge. So uh, it is definitely something that I've had to work really hard at and continue to try to work at. But just making sure to give yourself grace. <laughs> Don't yeah. beat yourself up too much. 
the physical health is one, the mental health, um, yes. I think would be another, right? And some, in some instances, there's communication, there's conversation, there's an ability to keep the day busy. I mean, with you, with Anne, it's not. With uh, people who are getting into Alzheimer's, uh, dementia, um, where the cognitive aspects are changing, how does one keep the mental sanity of their own <laughs> mental health? Right. <laughs> right. You, you know, I'm kind of, I, I, I feel like giving every caregiver a hug right now. The more I'm talking about it, know, the more I'm it going, is. my gosh, the battles that you deal with for two people, not just one anymore. Right. And even with her, you know, with her husband, because it's hard on him too. And it's hard to watch how hard it is on him. And, um, you know, it, it's a, it's a good point. And, Basically, for me, I'm just a really optimistic person. I, I carry hope like it's like on me. Like I, it's just, it's always been on me. And um, I really, we all stay hopeful in this house. And even though she can't communicate back to me, uh, somebody once said, I hope that when you're taking care of somebody that you can look at them and remind yourself that there's still a human there and to still connect with them consciously. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to speak in order to connect with them consciously. You could just have a conversation in your head with the person. Or what I do now is I just I start talking and she loves it when I just go on a rant. I'm just like, well, here's what's going on today and blah, 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 blah. What do you think about this? And I just talk to her like we're having a conversation. And it's almost like she is talking back to me because she is looking at me and giving me certain looks on her face, which tell me she's understanding, engaging, and trying to be a part of the conversation in her own way. It's just that the way that she's able to have that conversation is different now, you know, and um, she's a super smart, smart woman. So it's, it's, it is fun having conversations with her and seeing her facial expressions. (laughs) So you have that ability, but for people who don't like, what are your suggestions for them and and going through that? Um, Start with easy things like, um, you know, reading, reading a book or watching a documentary together or uh, watching a movie together or reading poems. We, in the beginning used to read a lot of stuff to her. And now um, she actually enjoys it when we put movies on or documentaries on and we all watch it because then we can all kind of have, uh, an understanding of of it at the same time, and it's like having a conversation. But it's it also allows a, an ability to have a communication without having to come up with what to say. You know, as I find when people come to visit, um, I always tell them before they walk in the room. Now I know it's going to be hard to see her like this, but you have to remember she's human, and you have to remember that she's still here, and that she is very present, and she is listening to every word, and she is watching you like a hawk. So just talk to her like you would talk to any person, any friend. Tell her a story. Tell her any story. Tell her a story about you know, John's baby that just got born. She loves that stuff. She loves any kind of a story because it's almost like she's living vicariously through those stories. So start small. Start with stuff that's easy for you. You don't have to, to come up with a, with a way to get them to acknowledge you. It's more of just a way for you to engage with them and where they're at. Meet them where they're at. Right. 
Now, where they're at is one thing. You might be going through a number of different battles as people have to deal with um, finances, uh, paperwork, uh, a lot of medical visits, doctors, insurance, advocacy. That was something that I mentioned right off the top. And that's, that's part of the advocacy work or how all of this comes together. So how, what are caregivers faced with uh, on those levels (laughs) and and how to help navigate that? We need another show. No, (laughs) no, it's, um, it's, it's a challenge. And what I would say is, um, you know, like tomorrow we're going in to get her feeding tube replaced. We have to go in every, they say every six months, but we go every year because we take really good care of her feeding tube. And so, Tomorrow we're going in to get her feeding tube taken care taken care of. And when we set that up, I gotta call the insurance, I gotta call the doctor, I gotta call one doctor to refer me to another doctor. You know, there's a lot of things that you gotta go through. Then when I get there to the hospital because of the situation that she's in, it's not like I can just drop her off at the door. I have to go with her, I have to be with her until surgery, I have to do uh, cough assist before she goes into surgery in case something happens and they can't cough assist her during I mean there's all kinds of things that could go wrong with somebody on event so understanding what you need to do to set yourself up for success and like tonight I know I have to shut her food off at midnight and her water off at midnight so she won't for 12 hours won't have any food or water and in her situation that's actually a bad thing because she needs to keep getting her fluids so today I'm pumping her with lots of more of extra fluids to help carry her through tomorrow. So I'm prepping today for what she's about to experience tomorrow. Um, and then when I get to the hospital, making sure that I stand strong when the doctors tell me, no, you can't come in here. And I'm going to say, oh, yes, I can. And here's why. And I've got all my answers and everything, all my reasoning why and why uh, it's my right to be with her understanding what your rights are too and understanding doctors are human and they're people you know they're not they're not a god they're they're a person who's practicing and so it's okay for you to stand up for yourself for your person it's okay for you to ask questions it's okay for you to get to the bottom of it and not take everything verbatim so would you say research be on top of of everything to be armed like to have yeah. kind of an an arsenal ready uh, absolutely as, as you navigate those systems absolutely and you know even with her food and everything she's on a plant-based um organic um whole food liquid feeding tube diet and even when i go to the hospital i have to explain to the nutritionist every single time why we prefer that every time I have to explain why, you know, and so understanding why it's important for her to have that and why she can't be on the other formula and why the other formula could be a detriment to her health, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, understanding those things. So you've got this, you have your own personal story and issue and work that you're doing. I know that you're in the process of of writing the book, right? I care, waking (laughs) the caregiver inside. So what was the premise, the the decision to write and what were you hoping to get from writing this? Uh, Well, it started basically with my journal. I've been journaling for my myself for the past 10 years on every little thing that I found to help me um, become a better caregiver for myself and for other people. And um, I found a lot of tools, and it's a lot of tools. And I know there's other there's other books out there, and there's lots of books, lots of stuff people can read. I've got a ton of them on my shelf right now. But what I wanted was one that had a key in it, which had the key to all these things. 
So that way, if I went to this book, I could just go back to the key and go, okay, here's why I want to use this. Here's what this is for. And here's why this is going to help me dig deeper. And so I said, well, why not take my journal and turn it into a journal that's basically an open workbook for everybody else, a journal for everybody else to figure out their own caregiver within their own recipe. And so I've been collecting all of these things that I've been doing for myself and I'm putting it together in, I guess, a cliff note version and putting it into a journal for people to use with the cliff notes to help them navigate, maybe get through some of this quicker with the work that I've already done. When you talk about the bookshelves that you have of books, who did yeah. you, what did, what were some, if you, if you can remember, uh, important books or discussions or dialogue that really helped you for someone that might be stepping into this for the first time? Oh, man. You know, the first book I ever read, which really, uh, as far as health and and wellness and understanding things, this is going to sound strange, but Suzanne Summers (laughs) put out a book called Knockout. And she had interviewed a bunch of doctors uh, about a bunch of disorders, but mostly cancer and how they were approaching it. And so the book was basically the doctor's approaches of cancer. And when I read that book, it really opened my eyes to the fact that there was a better way of healing yourself. And since I had been dealing with chronic issues since a ch- since I was a child and trying to figure out how to get to the end of my chronic issues and just wanting to feel good and stay good, um, it started there. And then from there, I went to... Um, a prescription for the prescription for healing A to Z, you know, um, I've got one, the encyclopedia of, of health. I've got essentials, uh, for essential oils. And I mean, there's so many different, I have so many books that are just so amazing. Every single one of them, um, understanding bowel care, (laughs) understanding enemas, because it's, it's a thing that can help you get through a lot of things, you know, (laughs) but these are things you're not quite considering prior to. And, and, And in saying that, do you have like, can you give us like five, I'm putting you on the spot, but like five home remedies or things that you have learned that, well, would help anyone in a situation, whether it's a parent, you know, caring for their child and things just aren't going right. Like, what are some, because I know you have a couple hidden, like, oh, yeah. you know, your favorites. I would say, um, well, first of all, hot water and lemon is really good uh, for just warding off any kind of uh, viruses or such like that. If you do every morning with hot water and lemon. That's one great thing. Another thing is a wellness formula by Source Naturals, which is um, it's a pill that anytime, any, if I start to feel anything coming on besides doing Wim Hof, that's the first thing I reach for in my cabinet. We always keep it in our cupboard. It's got echinacea in it. It's got zinc in it. It's got all the things to help boost your immune system and help get rid of stuff that might be causing problems. Um, essential oils, uh, peppermint, tea tree, and eucalyptus and lavender are a few of my like core favorites that we use a lot for a lot of different reasons. Oregano oil is another great one. I use that one anytime I'm feeling like anything's coming on. It's a great to get rid of viruses. Um, zinc, D3. I mean, those are all vitamins. But those are some of the key things that I keep in my cupboard to, to utilize on, on an emergency basis. Also activated charcoal. I would say if I 
in my in my cupboard, I always have to have source wellness, activated charcoal, tea tree, peppermint, lavender, and eucalyptus. Those have to be in my cupboard. Okay, period. how how? Okay, sorry, but like, how are you using them? I get the or uh, the. Uh, uh, what is it, the oregano oil? I mean, yeah. I've done it when I feel a cold coming on and, I, and it's like five hours later, I can still taste it, you know, that I had to, that I swallowed it down. But like, how are you using a lot of those things that you just mentioned? Um, oregano oil, usually I do it and I don't recommend everybody do this. This is really crazy. Uh, what I do with it though is I take it and I take two drops and I put it on the back of my throat, like literally on the back, in the inside of my mouth. Yeah. And then um, you let it sit for a minute and then the air hits it and it hurts. It hurts so bad, but it kills everything off. So if you had a sore throat, that sore throat's going to be gone. If you had an earache, that earache's going to be gone. Now with parents, you don't want to be using that on kids because it's it's a little too strong for kids, but you can get it in a, in a capsule. You can put it in a capsule and take it that way. Um, it's just a great way for breaking up the mucus and the biofilm. Um, as far as, um, what's another one? Essential oils, lavender, peppermint, and eucalyptus. We use lavender, um, eucalyptus, and peppermint oil every day on Anne. It, we use it to help relieve muscle issues, to also help with her with congestion. Um, so instead of using, um, uh, I don't even know what it's called anymore, when you go to the store, Vicks. Yeah. I don't use Vicks. I make my own. So I use peppermint oil, a eucalyptus, and then I'll put mix it with a coconut oil or jojoba oil and then put that put on that her on. chest. Yeah, or I'll put it under her nose so that she can smell it. So, yeah, using them that way. Um, and then as far as D3, I get it in a supplement that's a sublingual. So I put it on my tongue. And then um, the lemon water, I mean, well, we just we have we do lemon water every day here. That's just another one of those things that we do to help keep our immune system strong. It's funny. It's one of the things I started incorporating. Aside from like, as you were talking about the breathing and the meditation, I wake up and I'll have a glass of water with some lemon right beside the bed. And that's actually been a great change that we incorporated here in my house a, a little while ago. Um, the one thing that I that I was thought, thought about, and it was the discussion I had with my husband, is for people who've been living on their own, not having human touch, especially coming off of um, COVID and being alone, like touch to a human is such an integral part so how much do you put emphasis on the relationship of touch between the care the person the caregiver and the person they're taking care of but then also the healing touch for the caregiver after they have spent all of their energy on someone else to have that kind of brought back to them Absolutely. It's, uh, it's definitely key. I have two dogs and, uh, <laughs> they are my little healers. I have one that's, she like, as soon as I'm out of Anne's room, she follows me everywhere. She just stays with me everywhere I go and reminds me that she's there for me. So I have that, you know, and then I have my husband, but you know, husbands are husbands. So they're not always <laughs> big on the whole, <laughs> you know, I'm busy right now. I'm working. Okay. Well, let me know when you're done. Um, you know, and then as far as Anne goes, taking care of her, we do um, massage work with her every single day. So every day she gets uh, stretched and she gets a lymph massage. So it's just like a soft touch on her, on the skin to help drain the lymph. And, um, and then when I, I do cough assist, I have to touch her every single day too. And a lot of times what I will do is I will rub her head. And so I'll rub her hair on her head or, you know, just to help keep her calm and while I'm going through what I'm, we're going through with the cough assist. 
but that's that's pretty much what we've been doing for our strategies. And then, oh, and then uh, with her husband, um, I've got him coming in every day and told him how important it is that he goes in there and makes sure that he gives her lots of kisses. And so he goes in there and, you know, kissy, 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 and she always gets a big smile on her face And when he's trying to climb up on the bed to give her a hug <laughs> or give her a kiss. Do people do people often lack touch? Oh, I mean, I yeah. I mean, I I can tell Anna's in great hands, right, with you. But y- yeah. you know, how often are people not and and withheld that touch that they need? Well, I think what happens is, and I mean, I thought about this before I became a caregiver, and when I would be around somebody that would be in a situation like this, and it would be odd and foreign, and it would look weird, and it would be, you know, like, what's, you don't know if you want to touch the person for fear that, one, that you might offend them, or they don't want you to touch them, or two, that, you know, not to say that it's contagious, but to feel like, oh, if I touch somebody that way, then I might come down with something, you know, you know, because I know that's a thought that happens, and that's just now that I'm here with her, I realize more than ever that um, you really just need to kind of look past that. And if we can all just remind ourselves that, you know, if they're older or they're dealing with uh, Alzheimer's or dementia or Parkinson's or cancer or whatever the person's going through, they're still human. They still need to have some kind of touch or need to have that smile or need to feel that you actually care about them that you're not just going through the motions and, um, you know, making an effort towards that. It can be a challenge, but it's so much more rewarding once you do it because then you realize that it does touch them and then that touches you. You know, I feel the warmth from her when, when that happens. So I, I'm, I would hope that everybody would be able to feel that. With looking at the time and kind of having to wrap a lot of this up, what would be, if if I can put you on the spot, like your top three biggest tips for people who are in the caregiving role to make sure that they are doing um, or checking off or acknowledging so that they A, feel like they're putting their best feet forward, but also are going to come out of it for themselves healthier, feeling better, uh, and taking care of their own health and wellness. Remember to take the effort for yourself. You know, you're going to take the effort for them because you have to. But to be honest, you have to for yourself too. And um, it wasn't it wasn't made clear to me until I hurt myself so badly that I was forced to. And and it's funny that we all seem to wait until it's at that moment when we're at that last moment of oh gosh, I have to do something about this and change this situation because this isn't getting any better. Um, you know, so it is about changing the mindset and really putting an effort towards it. So it, catching it. So when would you suggest someone catches that their their own health and wellness is being uh, put at risk in the work that they're doing? Uh, what what's that What's that first sign to say, wake up? This is not going to be a good path. If you're waking, if you're waking up, or if you're having a hard time waking up, <laughs> if you're having a hard time waking up and getting out of bed, it's a good sign that something is not going right in your life. Uh, at least that's what been my experience: is that if I wake up and I'm not motivated at all, then something is happening with you, um, because either either you're not happy or you're dissatisfied in something, but most likely you're just dissatisfied because you're not fulfilling what you need. So. That would be the first thing. How are you waking up in the morning? (laughs) 
that's a hard way to get up, not be able to take care of yourself and then put all that effort into somebody. Into yeah. Someone else. You know, and that's what, when we were, we actually lived in a house of mold for a year and a half and all of my issues kind of came back and resurfaced when we were in, this was just uh, two years ago. So we were living in this house of mold and literally I couldn't pick myself. I, I was felt like I was going back into that 10 year thing that happened to me. 10 years ago. And I I went to uh, her husband and I just looked at him and I said, it was Christmas. And I said, look, if we don't get out of this house, I'm telling you right now, you can stay. I'm leaving because this isn't working for me. I can't even get out of bed. I'm spending all my days in bed. I'm literally in bed. Go take care of her. Go back to bed. Go take care of her. Go back to bed. And, and I lived that way for probably six months. And so I, I would say, you know, you can't, you, you gotta, you have to know and recognize when you're not feeling good enough to get up in the morning, that there's a reason for it. And it's not just, um, especially if it's happening chronically, if it's, if it's like you just partied the, the whole weekend, then yeah. I can understand that. <laughs> but, but if it's happening regularly, there's probably a systemic issue going on. <laughs> there's a lot of information to be able to take in and, the last question I have is when do you know it's the right time for you to take on that caregiver role or when do you know <laughs> that, it, that it's that it's not that it might be better that there's hired someone like sometimes people just don't have it in them. I think it's best to uh, for me what I've realized is to identify what your role is what you feel that you're good at and where you're going to be the most effective in the first two years I thought I could do it all I could be the physical support the emotional support the nutritional support the holistic support uh, the advocate the the administrator all of it I was doing it all and and I was actually doing it all but what ended up happening was it took me down. And, um, and so when that happened, I had to ask myself at reevaluate, okay, what does she need from me? What am I the best at? What can I get help with? So do I just need to hire somebody to come clean the house or do I need to hire somebody to do the yard or to do the bookkeeping or to move her physically? And what it came down to is that I needed somebody that can move her physically because I was doing all the emotional and the physical, and those two combinations were were just, they were hitting me in the wrong spot. And so I had to get help to move her physically so that I'd have enough left over to do the emotional support, which is quite a bit, and it can be very taxing all by itself. <laughs> so it, it's take stock. It, it's, yeah. it's have stock in, in where you know that the strengths and weaknesses are going to be for everyone in this scenario. Uh, the Traveling Caregivers, that's the company. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So what would you recommend people do? There's some information. I know there's a couple of uh, blogs. There's a couple of uh, kind of downloads. So what would people find if they're heading to uh, TravelingCaregivers.com? It's a work in progress. I'm still adding stuff to it. I have so much to add to it. I've only just had the website up for about a month. And so um, just know that it's got a lot more coming. Uh, My whole thing is to help people with holistic support. So if you're looking for, um, if you are a caregiver or you're looking for a caregiver who has more of a holistic mindset, my, my goal is to help you with those to navigate that, you know, are you looking and if you need somebody to um, help give you resources for certain things to become more holistic minded, or you just want to talk about the strategies that we've come up with and what's helped through this situation. I have so many 
situations that we've had to navigate that um, that I know that it could be useful information to other people going through stuff like this. And so I'm here for that. Well, congratulations. Good luck with it. Uh, as I know that the, the the workbook is coming out and that journaling yes. and the website. So lots of information, www.travelingcaregivers.com. Don, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Anne, is, uh, Anne and her husband, very lucky. Uh, it seems to have had you step in and, and to have the care that she's getting from you. So hopefully it was uh, an interesting conversation, especially for those of you who find yourselves in this dueling role, uh, either you know at home with younger kids, with aging parents, with someone that you're taking care of. But to, to know that I think especially coming off of this COVID and coming off of the understanding of how much work and care is being done by those that are caring for those that are sick, uh, they be, really have become the unsung heroes in all of this. So appreciate the work, Don. Thank you so much. Thank you for everyone who are listening uh, for yet another episode of Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. As always, continue to share and like and let people know that the podcast is out there. It's great to see it growing across borders and oceans and everywhere in between. Have a great day, everyone. Jeff Woods and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.